0: Before we start, we just wanted to say up front, thank you for listening. If this episode, or UX podcast in general, gives you joy, then please visit uxpodcast.com slash support and say thank you by giving us a one-off donation or a repeating donation from just a few dollars a month to hundreds
1: of corona. And by funding UX podcast together with James and myself, we can hopefully bring you eight more years of an independently curated UX podcast. Thank you for being wonderful.
2: U.X. Podcast, Episode 216.
1: Hello, I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Royal Lawson. And this is UX Podcast. We're in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're listening in 186 countries, from Lithuania to Brazil. From time to time, we bring you a repeat show. This is an episode
0: from our extensive back catalogue, resurfacing some of the ideas and thoughts from the past
1: that we believe are still relevant and well worth revisiting. Today, we are reposting a show from October 2012. This is our interview with Nathan Shadroff and Chris Nossel, when they had just released their book, Make It So. The
0: book is Make It So. Yep. And it's written by um, Nathan and Chris. Well, Nathan um, Shadoff and Christopher Nussell. Nice. Thank I think you. we're just
2: one entity now called <laughs> Nathan and Chris. Nathan uh, okay. Chris. This was an idea I had back in this is nathan eighty eight or eighty nine mm-hmm. um, after some film i saw saw in which it had interfaces but it's an idea, and in fact, i you know I came up with the title of the book back then too, but never did anything on it until about ninety six I believe when i started talking to Chris about it, and he said, "Yeah, right on, this sounds like fun." And even back then, we knew we had a, a feeling that there'd be something interesting in that kind of investigation, but we had no idea exactly what would you know come out of it or that we would find so much material.
3: Mm. Uh, quick, quick data, not 96, two thousand six, right? right.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sorry. 2000. <laughs> <Yeah>. I tend <laughs> to make the same mistake. Yeah, no, I. I
0: yeah. Uh, decades fly by now, yeah. so it's, it's a sign of our ages, probably.
3: Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, like, it's one one kind of nerd thing to have been doing the six years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll book the interview.
0: Different. We'll book the interview with you in ten years' time, yeah. so we can have the uh, <laughs> okay, good. the re-meet I'll, up and talk about it. <laughs> Sixteen years on.
1: So you've been, both been doing like. What, will, what we call it, interaction design for a while now, like 20 years plus, and you both speak and teach all over the world. Um, so I guess the common interest of, of the sci-fi genre both made you want to do this. But you, I understand you also had to limit it. I mean, you had the you, you have idea and you had all these uh, this material, but you had to limit it like to movies because there's not a whole lot of books and stuff in the book. Movies well, and
0: TV, yeah.
3: yeah, both movies and TV. Movies and TV, um, right. When we when we recognize that the aspect of sci-fi that we wanted to talk about was really the interfaces that sort of provides some some natural uh, boundaries for w- what parts of sci-fi we look at. Um, uh, in, in the book, chapter one, we. I, go through a little bit about uh, an interface that's described from the time machine. And when you read it, it's sort of sufficient for the narrative, but um, there's no way you could actually evaluate it in text. So no. uh, we we really couldn't look at it in text. Uh, we couldn't even look at it in like still pictures or um, like uh, graphic novels, uh, if only because the depictions like change over time. Um, that really left us with live action or 3D movies and television. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. if not, you're right, you get, it gets too subjective because you have to
3: add too much uh, detail yourself to the situation rather than analyze yeah, and, the scene. and then you're sort of like evaluating your own imagination and yeah. who cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting very anal in here. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, like you sort of spin out of control. And the other <laughs> thing was like even, even just movies and TV, like I don't think even in six years, Nathan, we could have done it. Um, we still had to even sort of choke in from that. And we first tried to find uh, movies or television that were sort of most popular, Mm -hmm. um, and then that sort of drifted into things that people were telling us about, oh, you've got to see this movie Chrysalis, or, oh, you've got to see this movie Sleep Dealer. Um, But still, like, we we ended up having to refer to The Survey a lot, um, so that we were careful about not saying, oh, we don't see this in sci-fi, because sci-fi fans are a... um, uh, Enthusiastic bunch. Yeah, they're an eagle-eyed bunch. Mm. Mm. And...
2: uh Right. And so we, we, you know, we've watched a lot of sci fi. I mean, our whole lives included, but certainly over the six years in this investigation, we've covered a lot of ground. There's still a lot more to go, mm-hmm. particularly with uh, some British and, 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 in essence, just sort of everything non US. And we continue mm-hmm. to watch sci fi, you know, even now we're swapping files and screenshots back and forth and write ups, and they're making more, you know, like they won't stop. So. Mm-hmm. This is uh, turning into sort of a never-ending, but happily so, affair.
0: Yeah, I actually saw um, oh, yeah. um this last week. Mm. Um, and, of course, I'd, I'd been reading the book... Um, well, last couple of weeks. So when I when when I was in the, in the film watching it, I'm kind of constantly looking at the interfaces and what's been on screen. I'm mm-hmm. doing my own little <laughs> mini analysis. So I'm I'm, I'm a bit um, infected now. I think.
3: Nice. <laughs> uh, I have heard it's working. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, well probably, done, mission. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine actually told me fairly recently that I have ruined sci-fi for him.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, um, that but, was going to be one of
1: my questions. so I mean, can you enjoy it after this book? Yeah, actually? <laughs> I think
0: there's definitely a risk for that.
2: Yeah, I, stuff. I think so. I mean, you know, anyone uh, that's in any kind of technical fields, you know, must have been uh, affected by you know poor narratives, whether it was a well-designed interface or whether it was ridiculous technology that could never be that breaks the laws of physics. I mean, that's something that we've all had to uh, suffer or ignore anyway. So I don't think that this actually ruins. Interfaces. I think it might amp a level of humor that we didn't necessarily mm. have in mind when we see stuff. Um, but I don't. It hasn't certainly hasn't ruined sci-fi for me. It's only made it more interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you always watch movies or TV with uh, just. a a threshold level of is this believable and you know sometimes it could be the the science involved that you're like what the hell yeah or it could be a character's actions like you know they would never do that and it just adds this additional layer that we're looking at and we're saying well you know that doesn't really map to that or i see what you're trying to do but you know um and only in a couple of cases is it so egregious that you know i'm like i can't keep watching <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, now this is actually something um I've I've written down in my notes here about the the, the complex feedback loop that we are we're talking about we're discussing in the book here that uh, um that sci-fi feeds us and sci-fi is feeding itself and at the same time we're feeding sci-fi. Mm. Um I think there was an interesting bit you wrote um I think it was in chapter 13 when when you're talking about Brainstorm and Strange Days and that the um the device in in Strange Days for uh, viewing the um the, the films are such that They've got in the film. Mm. It's called a squid, and you say about how it was. um, um It was smaller than the one that was used in Brainstorm because Brainstorm's a film was produced ten years before it. Mm. So there was an interesting reference there to how you know time, real time, moves on, and mm. our expectations or our boundaries of what we're willing to accept as, as believable mm. goes on and
1: changes yeah, and, and develops. Definitely. But but also in the real world, because in early on in the book you you talk about how buttons disappeared from the interfaces on the mm. ships uh, because they were just too expensive, and so they had these flat layers, and now we have, have have these flat layer screens all over the place because we're so influenced by by sci-fi, mm. and I'd like to see, <laughs> isn't there some some way that, like you, you also talk about there's there's some sort of comfort in mechanical controls, and should we really really shouldn't we come back to mechanical controls? more and more and not be in, as influenced by sci-fi as we are.
2: Well, and, and, and so a couple things. One is uh, I have to note that the claim that the reason they went to these flat panels is in dispute. Ah, um, we, okay. we did get someone to write back mm-hmm. to us to say it wasn't budget at all, mm-hmm. but I distinctly remember reading <laughs> a comment about that, I think, from uh, Chris Okuda who, mm-hmm. who designed them. So I, I'm busy trying to track it down, but some things are not easy to find. On the internet, you know, surprisingly, we
3: just we just found out that Michael Okuda is on Facebook, so we're like trying to get him to friend us, <laughs>
1: mm, <nice.
2: laughs> so we can have that mm, chat. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so and, and he's always been notoriously sort of um, uh, tight-lipped about the production of uh, the Star Trek. You know, the the production design in in that era of Star Trek. That said, and this is something we we have at the end of the. S- second chapter on physical controls Mm, even in sci-fi we're seeing a blending of sort of physical controls and and virtual controls whether they're volumetric projections or or touch screens Mm. and it's for a simple reason i think you know we are human and you know until our bodies go away our hands are are pretty good interface operation you Mm. know devices and touch screens just don't do very well for everything you you know mm, there are yeah. some funny examples where they show up and they're sort of uncharacteristically and out out of place in sci-fi but for the most part we're now seeing a blending of controls at least in sci-fi and i would assume correspondingly we'll probably start seeing more of them in uh, mm. the real world too yeah i yeah. think you,
0: you give the you one of the lessons was about um using physical controls for for f- fine control um And then there was the the example of was it Will Riker in Star Trek film where a a silly little joystick pops up so you can fly the uh, the ship manually.
2: (laughs) Well, the the other thing to say is that you know Chris and I aren't exactly uh, of one mind on on some of these details too. We we do go back and forth. Okay, cool. Uh, Mm. Chris sees that scene as fairly reasonable that you would have a you know a manual control for something like that, and Mm. and in general I agree. I Mm. just think it's a place. In the film, since we haven't, we didn't, we don't get to see it used for, you know, until the end. At this moment, attention, when all the other, you know, uh, weapons that have been used up till that point have been used, you know, using this touchscreen interface, and then all of a sudden we pop up the manual control. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film's uh... track, the the latest installation, the reboot, I think, is much better about that because you see physical controls used throughout the film so it doesn't sort of pop up in one place and then seem like an out of out of place joke
3: Mm. right oh yeah but but they ended up spending all their sort of interface believability on those unbelievably complex transparent screens everywhere um like if you've gone through starfleet supposedly you're well trained but uh yeah they just kind of went beyond the pale for complexity yeah Um, but Uh, One of the things you guys had asked in your original question was sort of about that loop of influence and a pattern Mm -hmm. that um, Nathan and I had talked about during the course of the writing of the book, but never actually made it into the text of the book. Uh, It was called What You Know Plus One, uh, which is pretty much what uh, especially blockbuster sci-fi can afford to do, which is take the modern paradigms and extend them just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So. Um, When we look back in, like, 1927 Metropolis, um, it was, you know, the the big video phone interface that was on the wall was pretty much much what the audience knew, which was uh, telephony plus film. Yeah, That's what they can afford to do. Hmm. But 10 years later, you get to Buck Rogers and everyone's got a television or, hmm. or at least has seen one. And now they can no longer do that. So uh, the new what you know is television and plus one in this case was big and on the wall. Yeah. Um, and that pattern still continues to this day, um, except there's an interesting addition to it, hmm. uh, which is what you know now includes sci-fi. Um, exactly. I was going to add there that what you know
0: also depends on the how long the the series or the film franchise has been running. Um, we're thinking again about Star Star Trek. That there's um, there's the uh, Memory Alpha website, which is very similar to the old encyclopedias that you used to get, where there's entire websites and books explaining. How things work in that universe, or in that particular, you know, um, program. Mm. Um, yeah. So as you, as a viewer of it, you, you, your believability is well, well oh, that wa- a warp drive works in that way. And if it doesn't work, how you've 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 learned over six series of Next Generation or something, then you feel cheated,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, the world mm. has been broken. Yeah. yeah, even
0: though it's not even a real world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: yeah well, and true. that any fiction is like that. You know, whether it's sci-fi or whether it's fantasy or. It's, mm. To some extent, whether it's a crime novel, you know, you can't pierce the sphere of credibility or else it all comes crashing down. But Mm. as long as you stay within it uh, pretty consistently, we as audience members will accept a lot of really weird, silly, cool stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of think it's like it it drives some things to ridiculous ends and they're sort of fun anthropological moments. Um, The universal translator in Mm. the (laughs) film – I mean, I'm sorry, in the television show of Star Trek is one example. Um, There's a a great scene in the episode, The 37s from Voyager, um, where Jane was actually sort of telling these – people that they've just woken up out of a stasis, um, who've been there since 1937, and they include Amelia Earhart, yeah. um, they're explaining to the Japanese man there, he's like, hey, sounds like you guys are speaking Japanese. And they say, oh, no, you sound like you're speaking English. Um, and she points to her com badge, of course, and she says, oh, this is a universal translator. It, it lets us hear each other in, in our own languages, um, which is needed for the narrative. I get yeah. that. Yeah, you know, I, I understand that it's much more complicated to, to have that same narrative without it, except um, to try and work that out diegetically like to make it make sense in the universe uh just stretches your brain beyond all belief. Uh, I I'm sure language translation is possible. We've got something akin to it now. Mm. Um but but we actually see him speaking English. Exactly. We, you see the lips yeah, move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his face is speaking English. Yeah. And unless that combat has some sort of like uh, 3D, you know, holographic masking <laughs> capability, it's just not happening. <laughs>
2: Well, to be fair, they were on the holodeck at the time, but yes. No,
3: no, no. <laughs> they they were on a planet.
2: They in, paint... oh, no, but that <laughs> scene the... happened. I think was it on a hol- <laughs> It was on the ship. It's, Look at on. The no, no. it's either the holodeck or it's in a star a cargo hold. No,
3: they're, they're, uh, they did a landing party down to the surface of a planet, um, which of course was like in some sort of nebula, so they couldn't communicate out. Um, and uh, yeah, they're <laughs> down in this like ancient. Uh, cavern where they've been kept for all these years um but we'll i will re- we'll rewatch you
0: need you you guys yeah. need a database for this so you, yeah. can, you can get answers. <laughs> that should be just oh, a quick so search <laughs> yeah that, that's a
3: uh, that's actually awesome that you mentioned that uh just for the opportunity for the plug uh we did actually build a giant database over the course of writing this book because we we had these moments um and uh, the 37s wasn't actually in that database, which is why Nathan had to kind of lay out like, wait, what ah. was it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but that was an internal database, one that I coded up, and oh, my goodness, I'm not a coder. Um, but we're slowly revealing that database online at a website that we've got um, and would love to let your listeners know. It's at sci-fi dot com. And so far, we've only got um, Metropolis and um, Forbidden Planet up, but we have the entire beta- database sort of scheduled to come online slowly.
0: Excellent. Nice. Yeah.
3: So, and that's really for these exact questions, where Mm -hmm. other people who are maybe taking up these questions or other different ones can hop into this database or uh, and see what they can see, or even if they just want to say, "Hey, what have dials looked like over the course of science fiction?" Or, "Hey, um, show me what uh, weapons, how they have evolved over the course of
1: sci-fi." Yeah,
0: exactly. Like a almost like a giant patent library. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think, so, you, um, sorry, Bill, were you can ask me. Now,
1: I was going to go into um, one of your, your chapters, is about gestures, and I, I'm uh, into this debunking myths because uh, you assert there that Tom Cruise, who probably would never, never admit this, but he gets really tired from moving his arms and holding them above chest level when oh, using bless. this interface. <laughs> 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 and that's yeah. that's really interesting because that gesture interface in Minority Report is something that is referenced by and large by every interaction designer around the world and as some everybody sees it that's the future but we're not actually testing it in the way that you described there that people actually do get tired waving their arms around mm-hmm. like that and you have lots of yeah. good examples like that in the book I think where you actually put things in perspective and, and look at what what would happen if we actually did that well this and this would happen mm-hmm. and you do, that, yeah. you do that in a great way with lots of examples actually
3: yeah, I actually, um, just as a as a side note, I happened to hear John Underkoffler speak um, when I was down at the Create Tech conference about a month ago in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually admits that on stage that um, he himself. Has, uh, oh, and I should say that John Underkoffler is the fellow who created the original tech um, that you see in the film, and actually has a a, a company called Oblong Industries that is um, commercializing this technology for like boardrooms across the across the world. I mean, he actually acknowledges that um, holding your hands above your heart is pretty exhausting mm-hmm. um, but again that's sort of a narrative trope it looked better to have his Tom Cruise's hands up in the air but you can actually use that and especially you know, in the uh, over a decade since that film of course mm-hmm. the technology's gotten better mm-hmm. um, and you can actually just lift your hands up to do it uh, and still manipulate the right. interface mm-hmm. um, well, so no that's it's
2: actually, actually
3: yeah. go ahead. I was going to
2: say that's an interesting uh, point about this is that that's not a futuristic interface it's got a futuristic wrapper around it, but it's actually a working interface from you know his work at the MIT Media Lab and he's right. mm. trying to sell it commercially. It just seems really, really futuristic yeah. in the same way that we you know we all remember the uh, geographic sort of spatial control system from the computers in Jurassic Park. Which seemed really futuristic, and right. yet it was a shipping piece of software if you had a Silicon yeah. Graphics workstation. Yeah.
0: That's right. You mentioned a couple of these examples in the book that there, a lot of these films do actually use, when they, when, especially when they show command line uh, yeah. interfaces. It's, a lot of it's taken from real systems. Mm. Right. But um, I, well, I, never, I had a question as well, but. One thing that must—I well, wonder if it was tempting for you—was would it be to dive in, submerge yourself completely in the design process of a single film or series, or, or even interface, um, to you know to learn more about the the process um, that f- the film and TV companies go through um, to come to the interfaces that they are. I mean, obviously there's a lot of production and and you know things to do with how they want it to look, but the, the, it still must be fascinating to know exactly how much effort and work they put into researching.
2: Well, I think it depends on the film. We've done, uh, Chris mostly has interviewed a lot of production designers already, and Mm. that gives us some insight into the processes. Mm. I would still say that uh, budget is a big constraint, whether it's for the set production costs or just the time to pay people. Uh, We've heard that, you know, in many cases, they just don't have the time to delve in as deeply as they would want because they need to hit a production schedule, and so they sort of use their intuition.
0: Mm. Oh, this sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's anywhere project. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, uh, one of our secret weapons in that
3: regard uh, is uh, a good friend of ours named Mark Coleran, who did interfaces um, for uh, The Island and um, the Jason Bourne uh, series. And um, he actually left the sci-fi world to come work on interfaces in the real world, um, partially because uh, he was frustrated with, you know, having budgets and unreasonable bosses. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and I think he had something of a rude awakening um, when he came to the design world, because, you know, we all deal with uh, insane deadlines and sometimes unreasonable reasonable bosses um, but but it is very actually true that the um, the constraints of uh, the movie making business are uh, are mighty and really hard to overcome um, and it was actually one of the things that I kind of have my fingers crossed uh, about the book of course our main audience were interface designers folks who um, and sci and science fiction fans of course um, who want to use and think about this stuff in their real life yeah. um, but uh, the fact that we took time to really think through, say, communication or really think through the phases of medicine, mm-hmm. um, I hope is something that, um, you know, uh, production designers in the business could say, oh, hey, you know, we don't need to think about this. Uh, we've already got some uh, some thought uh, in mm-hmm. the book yeah mm-hmm. uh, but I, I haven't heard that back yet because we're not targeting those guys no yeah. but I,
0: I definitely noticed that, that there the, the was a there's a lot of production um explanations in, in the book and i can see how definitely it would be useful for yeah um, producers <laughs> to to kind of short in some way shortcut some of the uh, conversations and meetings and discussions mm-hmm. about yeah how do we do that right.
2: and that's not to say that some directors and producers don't you know uh, take this seriously and delve deeply. We we know that Destination Moon, which is probably the first, and then 2001, and even Minority Report, mm. they ha- they had specific design sessions or at least conceptual brainstorming sessions where they brought in scientists and engineers and and others designers to to imagine a credible future. Mm. Um, and so the in fact, some of the sci-fi that sort of holds up the best uh, over time, even though it was made a long time ago is the sci-fi that has, you know, bothered to be serious about the project, uh, about, you know, the pro- process of creating the future or a vision for the future uh, that goes beyond just sort of window dressing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a film that was made, Nathan, I'm gonna, here. I'm going to uh, use yeah. your memory as well. There was a film that was made right at the same time of destination moon. And this is for, if you're, if you're not aware, it's like a 1950s, uh, let's, that's all journey to the moon, you know, through, through rockets, which was unheard of at the time. Yeah. Um, but there was another film made at the same time, but with uh, next to zero concern about scientific rationality. <laughs> um, and I mean, they end up walking on the surface of the moon without helmets. Um, do you remember the name of that film, Nathan? Uh,
2: all of them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, but it was. No, uh, I'm but,
2: trying to think about that now. I mean, yeah, the but, one thing that comes to mind is uh, this, crazy film um and it was like nudists on the planet on the moon or something like that but Mm. (laughs) uh, in which they do all that as well um oh let me see if i can pull this out of my uh memory and out of my notes
3: Yeah, I was going to look for it too, but anyway, but it was a it was a really interesting comparison because they were both made at the same time, so they have some of the same surface, uh, you know, similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the interfaces sort of uh, make homage to the same things. But when we look back on them, you know, sixty years on, uh, one of them is like, "Hey, that was actually pretty good," you know, pretty smart. There's like one tension scene in Destination Moon where the 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 core crisis is that the uh, the astronaut is floating away from the spacecraft and they're like figuring out how to get him back um which is you know genuine and smart and uh the 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 scenes in this other movie are things like green bug eyed you know monsters appearing from behind moon rocks um and it's just like it it's it's was probably maybe more exciting at the time, um, but uh, just fails to hold up in comparison. And right. these sort of That's the so- quaintness of uh, uh, the quaintness of these uh, movies and of the interfaces within them um, just doesn't hold up as well if they don't put
2: the thought into it. Hmm. Yeah, Destination Moon was 1950. I'm thinking about a movie called Nude on the Moon from 1950. <laughs> oh my god! That what have you been watching? Don't <laughs> tell it alpha. like it is. You that that wasn't part of the sex, sex chapter, actually. So, <laughs> no, it was not. No. But I don't know which one you're. you're I, I'm not sure which one you're referring to, but it would be around 1950, Chris.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look it up as we keep talking, and I'll. I'll pop up later with. Oh my god! It was this.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can send, um, it, but, send it to me, and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: okay. But but how would you expect? us as interaction designers or what type of feedback have you been getting from people reading the book on how they're using the book in their day job?
3: Uh, wow. Have you heard any, Nathan? I like it, <laughs> It's so, it's so new that yeah. I have not yet.
2: Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's only been out two weeks. So yeah. we have, we've heard a lot of excited excitement and, mm. you know, sort of gratitude that this book is out and etc. But I don't think we've heard of anyone uh, yet saying, Oh, I can't, you know. This is this is how it changed my work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I will say that we've been giving workshops uh, around the book for uh, about six months now. I'm doing one tomorrow actually here in New York, where it's interesting to see the kinds of um, development that people go Mm -hmm. through. With the exercises that we give them, and it does push them into a space they probably never would have gone to before, but then they have to sort of bring that back to the reality of technology Mm -hmm. and their bosses or their clients. Mm. So we don't know how those exercises have – uh, you know what they've become mm.
0: I, I'm, actually, I'm sorry I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going to stick my neck out on say I yeah. wonder if um, the book in itself is more of a discussion starter and then there's going to the a whole load of things that you can talk about yeah. after reading the book so the book itself might not be a, a tool for, for
1: your work but what you talk around it it's they? like an artifact for starting discussions mm. is, yeah I actually have an example of, of things that popped into my mind reading it back to Minority Report there's you have the example of someone walking in uh, and to greet uh, Tom Cruise uh, in that scene, and he, when he stretches out his hand, of course he moves something on the screen. So the system sort of recognizes intent. And you talk also about there's a child in a, another movie banging on a phone that sh- that should actually make the, make the phone uh, uh, the call end, but it doesn't. So, but you make make something out of that, and it could actually be the intent that it's not supposed to end the, uh, shut down the call. But also what I thought of when I read that was like I work a lot with web forms and um, a big problem I see with web forms is that the error handling is really bad as it always is. But an obvious thing is when people actually hit the send button before filling out any field at all. And it's so obviously oh. Oh. not their intent to send it, but you scream errors in their face for all <laughs> different form fields that you have on there. But obviously you should say just say, Sorry, Oops. you you forgot. Yeah, you, you, pressed, forgot. Enter yeah, you pressed enter by accident. You yeah. enter by something like that. So so I'm I'm seeing ways of using these as fun examples for the people. When I do talks, for example, when I'm trying to explain things to clients, think about this in the real world and think about how this affects how you, how you how how we design the website today. And even the scene, the thing, the scene with the uh, we have Darth Vader
2: um, talk to the stormtrooper yeah, and the tie fighter. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and Darth Vader is really small and <laughs> yeah. uh, talking up to the stormtrooper. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, so the tonality of my website, how, is it talking up or down to the user?
3: <laughs> mm. uh, wow, that's cool. That's, yeah. a, that's an abstraction we didn't even pull out yeah. from it, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we uh, – I don't actually think this term ended up in the book, but it's one that um, uh, I, I gave when I spoke in the Netherlands fairly recently, is that um, sci-fi is this sort of lingua franca of future, interactions um, where we can say, what's a gestural interface? Well, you know, it's like the minority report interface. Yeah. And even though there are like dozens of interfaces in there, that's the one that people know that you're talking about. Um, or if I want to talk about sort of a gunner seat interface, I can just say, you know, like uh, Luke Skywalker in the right. in the basement yeah. of the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that is actually something that we have. And kind of the, the real world can certainly capture current paradigms Mm. but when you want to talk about something new and cool and you want to push the boundaries of your own work the place you can turn to is science fiction Mm, um and if and if we just like use them as they are without sort of taking a critical eye to them um i I think we're actually going to do ourselves a disservice because they're not perfect they're there for narrative purposes not for design reasons
1: Mm, exactly yeah when you were talking about anthro well, I can't even pronounce it. Anthropomorphism, well, yeah, so yep. the human-like yep. interfaces. Uh, I was, uh, I was thinking about um, the old search engine, which you probably remember, Ask Jeeves. Oh yeah. Oh. oh well, yeah. We asked simple questions, phrasing them as questions, and it returned answers in the way that answers to. would be presented, mm. and like that, and it really humanized that the, the search experience, which I haven't seen after that actually either. I don't, I don't even know if it's, Ask Jeeves is still online. I believe it is. It well,
2: is. Or it's, just, it's called Ask.com now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. They go, well, oh, they, they lost employees. Jeeves. Oh, <laughs> they fired they reti- him. They retired yeah. him. Yeah, they you fired
2: know. Him. Well, him and Miss <laughs> Dewey, right, they're probably off in search engine, you know, warehouse yeah. somewhere.
3: <laughs> Actually, we ought to write a piece of sci-fi about what Jeeves and Mrs. Dewey are doing. Yeah. <laughs> <since retirement. laughs> <laughs> Maybe they hooked up. Like, you, know. so exactly. you can,
0: you well, can. Yeah. In in version two, in um, revision two of the book, you can add that to chapter thirteen mm. about sex.
2: Mm. Right, well, you know oh, what? Nice. I think what actually happens is they they create Bob and Clippy, who then go back in oh. time and create them.
0: Mm. Oh, see, no, I'm still on the chapter yeah. thirteen thing again, so you can't mention Clippy when I'm when I've got kind of you know, sex bots in
2: my head. <laughs> 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 oh. You, you don't want to find out about the reality that, that you know, sex bots are actually going to be more like Clippy than like, you know, Buffy mm. Oh, Because oh. they'll be running some version of like Windows 13. God, yeah. Or sex bots. Mm.
1: <laughs> one, one thing I also wanted to ask you about is that uh, I do a lot of talks around Quantified Self today. And I actually haven't seen any quantified reference. Quantified Self? Quantified Self. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I have this Fitbit tracker. I have my uh, We Things scale that can mm-hmm. actually – well, it registers everything, but it it tweet my weight, but it doesn't currently. No, I've <laughs> never seen that. <laughs> uh, but all this data that we're collecting about ourselves, I, I haven't actually seen reference to that in, in any sci-fi movies. or I didn't think about it reading the book either. Oh. But all this data you're collecting that – I mean, it I, seems like a strange behavior, human being. Oh, James is waving his hand. I am, apparently person. has a reference. Yeah. But- oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, I was just, just
0: going like, to prove that. I've read a bit more of the book than you. Because <laughs> uh-huh, okay. there, yeah. there is a mention, and you guys can help me out here because you wrote it, <laughs> when you're talk, talking about using data to extrapolate intent or more, you know, to, to predict things more using the data you've mm. got. And you, you do hint at that at one point, I think, mm-hmm. in the book.
2: Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of things that we found out uh, that we find or or didn't find in science fiction that strike us as uh, great opportunities for science fiction to expound on. And one of those things are, you know, personal scale sensor networks. They don't really show up except for a scene in the original Star Trek where – uh, a character, an ambassador, comes on board, and she's got this sort of beautiful dress that turns out to be a sensor network that allows her to see. Mm-hmm. Since she's blind, they don't find that out until you know near the end of the, the the episode. And that's really one of the only instances that we see of this kind of personal sensor network. Even though it's right. in a very different genre and for use than what we see as you know Fitbit and Quantified Self, at the same time we see very little use of networks. Um, and the kind of uh, oh, yeah. uh, network a- 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 uh, applications and uses that we use today. So there are big blind spots mm-hmm. sci by for sure.
3: Yeah, exactly. and in, in fact, we see sort of tropes all the mm-hmm. time that shut down communication for narrative purposes. Um, Purpose. Like the Battlestar Galactica, you know, they had a, actually a really good diegetic reason as to why they shouldn't be using networked communications, but uh, it's partially a constraint of what stories we can tell when everyone knows everything. Um, mm-hmm. We're just not good at those stories yet. Um, and I think as time goes on, and you know, a a younger generation sort of grows up expecting to know everything. That the stories that they begin to tell will be a little bit different. Um, but I did think of actually another another giant thing that never appears in sci-fi that we uh, noticed is volume control.
2: Yeah. Ooh.
3: Volume oh. is always perfect in <laughs> movies and television.
2: That's um, really there's interesting. only sound engineers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's only yeah, I know. There's only one example that I can think of, and, and of course, I haven't seen all the sci-fi, but it's only in Contact. Um, uh, when she's actually turning that mechanical dial in order to listen closer to the sounds of space um, oh, but yeah. it, it just goes mm-hmm. to show sort of like the quantified self mm-hmm. um, uh, and the network example that um, sci-fi as a, as a narrative genre has certain things that it affords to, to use an interaction design term mm-hmm. um, and that, that doesn't cover all of our work um, it is incomplete as a textbook it's a very big textbook uh but ultimately we, we do have to add to it with our with our own uh knowledge and domain mm. expertise
1: right yeah well yeah, I think we have to start thinking about wrapping think up. We're taking a lot of t- your time here. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, w- mm. one thing we mentioned before we um, when we were getting the kit um, set up here uh, was um, me and Pai realized that we could probably talk about this for days. Yeah. Oh um, uh, yeah. We, we actually <laughs> we actually joked that if we couldn't get hold of you on Skype, then we could do the interview anyway because yeah. we were we were babbling so much about scenes from various films and <laughs> no, things from the book and so on. Uh, mm. No problem at all to the, <laughs> the time. Chris, no actually. Go ahead. I,
2: I remember uh, very uh, uh, vividly when we first gave this talk at, at South by Southwest about three or four years ago now. Um, as the talk had ended and the lights were coming up and people were getting out of their chairs, Chris turned to me and said, you know what I just realized? Like this can't really go wrong. <laughs> if all that yeah. you know the, they do is, is sit in the dark and watch clips from their favorite sci-fi films, they're going to be happy. It's yeah, exactly. kind of true.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a gimme thing. So. No, it's <laughs> yeah. no, but, but, uh, but actually, one of the things that was great about that very talk is that um, – uh, Annalee Newitz, who's the editor of the fantastic uh, sci-fi blog io9, happened to be in the audience, uh, actually, wow. along with Bruce Sterling, who ended up writing our our uh, foreword. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Annalee got up um, to the microphone and she said, um, I wanted to let you guys know that I fully expected you to fail. And, of course, this being <laughs> our, our first presentation, my heart completely sank. I was like, uh, what's going on? Uh, I um, and she said, oh, no, because that. Oh, maybe you're right. Because that was well, the yeah. time we went to go talk about sex. The sex one. <laughs> we had suspected the next year. Yeah, yes. you, you have a sex,
2: sex only technology. talk. It doesn't. Yeah, say-
3: yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and charmingly, that was the year that my dad came to South by Southwest. <laughs>
0: oh, well done.
3: <laughs> yeah, so he was, he was in the audience for that one. Um, but she said, I fully expected you to fail. And, of course, my heart sank. And, uh, and then she followed it up by, it would have been very easy to simply get up and show us moments from science fiction. And she said that would not have added anything. We've seen those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what she complimented on is particularly uh, on the sex chapter, but uh, I, I'm going to extrapolate to the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. She said that we've added a layer of analysis and, of course, the lessons that do make it use, that we have added something to this material mm. um, and moved it forward as a conversation and not just simply been fanboys. Uh, and that, right. to me, was sort of the, the, the biggest stamp of approval that, uh, yes, we have added something and that we're m- not just watching sci-fi, but using it too.
0: Yeah, you've joined some dots that have not been joined before.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Great. So do we have any final questions for you? Uh, well, you're looking at me now. I think I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have <laughs> yeah. one obvious one.
2: Go on then. So, what's the best sci-fi movie?
0: Ooh. Right.
2: Well, there's no such thing, right? I mean, ah. there are a lot of fantastic movies that you watch for a lot of. Different reasons. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Like. Yeah. There. There's so. Like. There's so many ways to cut that question. Mm-hmm. Like, do you mean which one can we return to repeatedly, or which yeah. one has sort of the the the, the best interface on the surface or the best interfaces after sort of analysis. Um, yeah, that's a real tough one. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it, actually, there's a T-shirt I saw at Burning Man this year that probably applies here, and the shirt basically said next year's burn was better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, like, the best sci-fi film is, the, is oh, wow. probably yet to come, right? Like, we yeah. have all these hopes for the second <laughs> installment of the Star Trek reboot and, you know, cl- uh, what is it, Cloud Heaven or what's the new one by the Wachowskis? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I thought earlier. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of great sci-fi still still to come and I think yeah. that um, they have the opportunity to to best, in some ways, everything that's come before. Yeah. I like that. That's a positive yeah, that's like a um, note to finish yeah. on. So, yeah.
0: I think that. <laughs> mm. Cloud
2: Atlas. That's the film coming out in uh, 20, in 15 days in the U.S. Oh, oh, Cloud okay. Atlas was that? Ah, nice.
1: Okay. Wow.
3: Cool. I've not even heard of that, but I'll be in the cinema. All right, cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, guys. It's been loads of fun.
2: Thanks to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks. Thank Excellent. For, uh, feeding our obsession. Yeah. <laughs> our thanks pleasure. for letting us. Our pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. See you later. Take care. Yeah, Enjoy nice talking
0: to you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was fun.
1: Yeah, it was, actually. We could have talked for days. Well, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, no problem at we'll all. Keep, we'll keep talking. Uh, we, we do usually. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But I think I actually will be looking at sci-fi movies very differently from now on. I I will be thinking more Mm. and more about the interfaces because I'm not usually that bothered when I when I see them do it wrong. But now I'll be more looking at how they actually do it and why they might have done it like that. Uh,
0: Exactly. Mm. I I know from seeing, Mm. as I said about um, Prometheus last week, that I'm already being a little bit Mm. critical. I've got a critical eye now on Mm. interfaces that I didn't have Mm. before I read the book.
1: And it's just fun introducing a new perspective. I mean, looking at interaction design from a whole different uh, side of things. I mean, I've never looked at it this way before. And and just doing that makes you think in in different ways. And that's one of the fun things about Mm. working in this area is that there are no right answers to it.
0: It's all about believability, I guess.
1: That's a very good way of putting it, actually. Mm. Yeah, nice.
0: Links related to this episode are on uxpodcast.com. And we'll also send them out as part of our backstage email, which you can sign up for by visiting uxpodcast.com slash
1: backstage. This podcast has been a repeat show from our archives. Let us know which of your favorite episodes over the years you think should be repeated for more people to listen to. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. about the two antennas that got married? No. Yeah, the wedding was lousy, but the reception was outstanding.